Welcome back. We're continuing on in our re-engaged journey, and we've come to the topic of grace. Too many couples have a warped view of God's love and think that they have to somehow earn His favor. It's exhausting and impossible to then apply that workspace thinking to our marriages. I'll respect Him when He finally, whatever, or I'm going to XYZ so that He'll love me. That's not actually how God functions. So why are we constantly doing this in our relationships? We really need to understand God's grace in order to extend it to our spouse. So let's listen to Ryan's supplemental teaching on how we should start thinking about extending God's grace to others. Grace is one of those topics that if you've grown up in the church, you've heard the word grace over and over. You've heard that you've been saved by grace and that God is a God of grace. You might have heard so much about grace that you've forgotten what it means, or maybe you've assumed you know what it means. Uh, I want to look at grace and what the grace of God uh, has to do with our lives, but really how uh, the call for us to be gracious in our marriages. What does that look like in our marriages? I'm going to explore that, but I really, before I, you know, jump out with with all of that, I want to make sure we're on the same page as to what grace means. I was kind of daunted preparing this, trying to summarize grace, because I feel like I'm inevitably going to give you a running tour of the Louvre, if you know what I mean. When I say a running tour of the Louvre, Brandy and I, in 2011, we went to France and we spent a portion of our trip in France, we spent a portion of it in, in Paris, naturally. And one of the things we went to see was the Louvre, that giant museum with the Mona Lisa. But we didn't really allot enough time for us to really take a look at that museum. We didn't know how much time to give ourselves. And when we were about maybe one-tenth of the way through that museum, we realized we only had 30 minutes left before we had to be at the next thing that we had scheduled. And we almost literally ran through the rest of the museum. We, we, I saw the Mona Lisa. It was a, she was a blur. Uh, We didn't appreciate it, but we got a little bit of a sense of what was in that museum. And that's all all the justice I could do with this summarization of grace. But it's important that we know uh, what it is. So what is grace? The clearest, most concise definition I've heard is grace is undeserved love or undeserved favor. The undeserved love and favor of God. You know, Romans 3 Verses 23 and 24 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have fallen short because of our sin and God has given us an undeserved gift, undeserved love, undeserved favor and given us salvation through Christ, through justifying us. I, I actually went to the Baker Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia of the Bible and copied the, the definition of grace straight from this, from this encyclopedia. Listen to the way they put it here. Grace is the dimension of divine activity that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. God is gracious in action. I love that. And he goes on and he says, God never gives grace begrudgingly. God is 
able to give grace upon grace. He, is, uh, he gives it to people who are indifferent in receiving it. The rebellious, it, he does this. He doesn't get tired of giving grace. I assume God is kind of uh, folding his arms toward me when I know I'm approaching him for grace, that I don't deserve it. I have this natural picture of God kind of shaking his head, annoyed that, I'm, that I've dropped the ball again. And, and not according to this, God has an inexhaustible, inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless, and he never gives grace begrudgingly. That's beautiful. So what does it look like in marriage? I took that exact same definition and just made a few minor tweaks for us to see what does grace look like in marriage. So here I go. Grace in marriage is a result of divine activity that enables recipients of grace, you and me, to confront their spouse's differences, shortcomings, and sin with an inexhaustible capacity to forgive and to bless. Christian spouses are gracious in action. Christians are gracious in action. So what does grace in action look like? You know, from God, his grace toward us is that he gives us the next breath of air. His mercies are new every day. He doesn't strike us with lightning when we turn our backs on him. There's so many ways he blesses us with loved ones and health and all these things. They're gifts of grace, salvation being a, a significant one, right? What does it look like then for a Christian to show grace to their spouse? Well, here I just listed a few examples. Grace looks like Choosing not to focus on the faults of your spouse. Proverbs 29, 11 says it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Just choosing not to focus on their faults. It's, here's another, another one. It's choosing to believe the best about your spouse's words and actions. Have you ever misinterpreted your spouse? <laughs> you know, in a negative way? That's not showing grace. It's assuming the best from their words and their actions. In their actions. Grace is advocating for your spouse rather than building a case against them. Do you advocate for your spouse when you're tempted to build a case against them? It's planning a romantic date even when you feel like your wife has been distant and unforgiving. It's choosing to forgive. It's choosing to give and show respect even when you don't feel like he deserves it. It's serving when you feel taken for granted. It's forgiving, it's pursuing, it's committing for better and let me stress, for worse. Grace uh, comes in all these different forms. So the question I want to camp out on, in marriage, where do you need to put grace into action? Where do you, in particular, need to put grace into action? I, got th I have three areas that, I, that hopefully at least one of these will stimulate us or challenge us. Three areas we need to put grace into action. We need to show grace, number one, where we are hardwired differently by God. You are married to someone who is hardwired differently than you, and God is the one who's done it. We're different because God has made us different. And sure, we, we all know that, but I, but I want us to think about this. We're all different in one major way. God has... Uh, Bless you with someone who's like a, a different gender. <laughs> and you know, the fact is that our, 
you know, I, I want to focus on the fact that there, there are personality differences and there's different things that are hardwired into us, but just this obvious one of gender is something that from the beginning, uh, we need to take a look at uh, that God chose to bring somebody fundamentally different from Adam to have this, this relationship with. It says in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, when Adam was alone in the garden, he, there were the animals all around, everything was good. But then verse 18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, I will make him a helper suitable for him. There is a major difference that God did not bring somebody like Adam. He brought some, a helper who was suitable. Now, that, there's that obvious difference that God brought a woman to, to Adam, but he calls her a helper. And I, I have a definition from the ESV study Bible that really highlights what this difference is. Helper is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. The term does not imply that the helper is either stronger or weaker than the one helped. And fit for him or matching him is not the same as like him. A wife is not her husband's clone, but rather she compliments him. God hardwired your spouse with the intention that he or she would be different from you. And those differences glorify God, but they become an area where there can be a lot of tension comes into those very differences. And if we don't choose to show grace where we're different as male and female, there can be a lot of misunderstandings. I'll just take this, this might be provocative on the surface, but it's a good example. You're different from your spouse in the male and female sense, generally men have stronger sex drives, generally. Do you see God's goodness in that difference? Or do you see, his, is that a curse? I honestly think it's a, it's a blessing that God chose to make us different when it came just to sex drives. If we all had the stereotypical male sex drive, I don't, I'm not sure we'd get anything done. Probably wouldn't leave the house, you know? It, it's, it, it's good that as most men have to learn how to change, how to meet their spouse, to meet their wives, uh, there and, and, and compromise. And the same goes. I don't know what it would look like if we all had a female sex drive. I, I'm not going to go there. But I do know that God's goodness is seen in that difference. And where it's difficult, we're called to be gracious in action. Let me step back, though, just from the male-female differences and say that opposites tend to attract, tend to, tend to attract. There's a good chance you are married to someone, you're sitting next to somebody who's very different from you. I, I just, some examples come to my mind. One of you might be a planner and the other one of you might be spontaneous. My wife is more of a planner than I am. And it, it was difficult early on because I would, in a kind of willy-nilly fashion, I would make plans for the weekend or I invite people over. And Brandy's the type that she had a plan. It's even so much so that there were times where I would just kind of casually suggest something to do on a Saturday and it kind of offended her because she had a, a, an expansive list of the things that needed to happen. And I, I'm not considering all that's on, that's on the plate, all that's on our schedule. We've learned to adjust to that, but that was a point of tension for us that we've needed to learn how to show grace toward one another. 
uh, another one. One of you might be the optimist, the other one might be the pessimist, or I will call the other one the, the realist. One of you, maybe the realist, is tempted to look at the optimist as being naive, while the optimist is tempted to look at the pessimist or the realist as being negative. But the truth is, these are different, we're hardwired differently. Extroverts and introverts tend to attract. Attract. There's talkers and there's land the plane people. Meaning, you know, when you come home from work and you say, how was your day? You might get a real-time replay of the day from your talkers while the other person is saying, okay, where's this going? Uh, land the plane, please. The other person who, you know, doesn't talk as much need to, might need to learn how to actually express something else about their day other than it was good. These are all ways we're hardwired differently. And the mix of these things, where we are different, if our differences meet in an atmosphere that's devoid of grace, marriage becomes very difficult. The tension mount, mounts and it just things get ugly. But where there is grace, when we're intentionally looking at the fact that an all-wise God has brought us together, the goodness of God starts to come out. We start to see it and we appreciate each other. Here's the second area we're, we're called to show grace. We're called to show grace where we view and approach life differently. This is similar to the first point, but it's a little bit different. It's different in the sense that we're not necessarily hardwired by God to view life the way we view it. But we might have been raised in the particular families that we grew up in or the maybe where, where it is that we grew, grew up. We might be raised to think of things in a certain way. It's most likely it's different from your spouse. We all have viewpoints, instincts, and tastes that have been formed in us through our upbringing, through our culture, through our relationships. And it's formed the way we, we see the world, the way we respond to it. Examples come to mind like, how are you gonna spend your holidays? How do you spend your money? What's acceptable? Do you, do you respond to all the invites with RSVPs? Do you do, you do that or do you kind of ignore those emails? There's those things that we just kind of, it's not hardwired by God, but we just have a different philosophy having a lot to do with the way we were raised. I'm, I, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York who uh, I enjoy listening to and reading. And he told the story in a forum on marriage where his wife, Kathy, was raised in the family where uh, her mom would, would do the laundry and fold the laundry, but put, it on the, put the kids' laundry on the base of the stairs. The kids would then pick up the laundry and take it up to their rooms. On Tim's side of the family, his mom would fold up the laundry and put it all away. It was kind of her way of saying, I love you. And in Kathy's family's case, it was like, that wasn't necessarily her way of saying, I love you. It was just that it made sense. She maybe wanted to train her kids to take responsibility, but either way, it's different. Not sin, not right or wrong, just different. But what do you think that looked like when they grew up and they got married? Well, Tim's wife would she would do the laundry and, and maybe leave it at the base of the stairs or whatever. And the family would, uh, would you know, Tim would probably just walk right past it and think that she's, she doesn't really love us. Look, the laundry's at the base of the stairs. And Kathy's thinking, what's his, why is he not picking up his, you know, small end of the bargain? It became a source of tension 
and it was merely because of different histories. For me and, and for Brandy, it, it looked like this. I was raised in a family, and this is just one example. I was raised in a family where we generally talked kindly to one another, but it was so much so that we were probably too kind. Like we were afraid of being misunderstood. And so instead of saying, hey, grab that for me, we would say, hey, when you get a chance, would you mind grabbing that? It, it was one of those, we were surrounded in, in a lot of niceties. And, uh, but that's the way we related, you know? And if someone said, hey, go get that. Those are, those are fighting words. Why are you talking like that? So we were kind of a little extra careful to talk nicely to one another. And then certainly fights would break out, but, but that was our, my background. Brandy's family, they were, they're all very to the point. I think there's a little bit of like a Marine in all uh, uh, in her family where they just, they're kind of tougher. They just say what they want to say and they, they don't really worry about what other people are, are thinking. And it's, it's not a rude thing. But when we got married, I quickly perceived it as being a rude thing. I, I, Brandy would tell me to, to, to grab something and I would like, why are you talking to me like that? Why are you angry? And she was, I'm not angry. And we would start fighting over a complete misunderstanding. And it actually all came to light for me one time when we were driving on our, on, on their, on our way to visit uh, Brandy's mom for Christmas. Brandy's on the phone talking to her mom. We're on the way to see her. And as she's talking, I hear her tone kind of get a little firmer. Like, no, mom, no, I don't think so. No, if you, and, and she's talking in a way that made me like I'm smelling blood. So I'm sitting here driving thinking, oh, they're fighting. What's going on? I'm, I'm kind of listening in on the conversation. This conversation goes on in that tone. In my family, this, these are, this is a fighting tone. But as Brady's talking, she goes, no. Okay, all right, well, I love you. I'll see you soon, bye. Hangs up the phone and I realize, it's like my mind blew. I, they weren't fighting. And she's not fighting with me. I've had to learn how to show grace in those areas where I think you're being rude. No, my interpretation is not necessarily correct. And Brainy's actually come back and said, there are times where I'm not meaning, there's no venom behind my words, but I'm not being very kind. If you show grace where you view and approach life differently, there's a sweetness. But if you choose not to show grace, this is going to become a point of tension. So how do you do that? I have in your notes a list that you might want to spend some time looking at this. How do you show grace where you are simply different? These are the morally neutral pet peeves kind of thing. All right. Number one, celebrate your creator. When you see a difference between the two of you, celebrate your creator. If God created your spouse to be the way he or she is, you can't improve on that. You're not going to see me touching up the Mona Lisa. I'm not that good of an artist. Why do I try to change my spouse? Instead of trying to change my spouse, celebrate the goodness of God in the way he created him or her. Secondly, refuse to see these differences as right or wrong. I'm not talking about moral issues here though. I'm talking about those hardwired differences or even those amoral kind of things that are just, we have a different background. When you begin to think and act as though your hardwiring makes you better or more mature or more righteous, you're gonna act and respond in ways that are dismissive and disrespectful. Refuse to see these differences as right or wrong. 
Thirdly, choose to respond to your differences with appreciation and respect. That's a choice. But you'll find that when you choose to do that, your heart will follow. Being appreciative and respectful will come more naturally after you've chosen to do that. Fourth, learn where your differences create difficulty and call yourself to unification work. These are all taken from Paul Tripp's book, What Did You Expect? It's a book about marriage and calling yourself to unification work is a phrase I would never come up with, but that's a good appropriate way to put it. Uh, there are times if you're looking at you schedule things differently and you have differences in the way you view your days like Saturday, you have a day together, you're going to have to choose. Learn how to get on the same page and that might involve some comp compromises. And then last is admit where these differences challenge you to grow. So we need to learn to show grace where we're hardwired differently and also where we view and approach life differently. And that leads to the third thing. We need to show grace where we struggle with sin and weakness differently. Where do we struggle with sin and weakness differently? Honestly, I have an easier time showing grace toward people who sin in the same way that I sin. People who struggle with the same sins that I struggle with, I'm very gracious to them because I kind of want grace myself. If somebody struggles with something that I struggle with, I, I kind of feel an, an automatic kinship with them. But if they struggle differently than me, I have a tendency to judge them or to kind of look down on them or to just think that just, yeah, I guess the only word is judgment. Here's another area though. I, 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 have, an, I have an easier time showing grace when someone didn't sin against me. When I'm not the one who was sinned against, I have an easier time showing grace. But when someone sins against me and their sin hurt me, I have a harder time. We may not struggle uh, with, with sins in the same way. You're probably married to somebody who struggles differently from you. For me, I'm more of a, I struggle more with fear of man than Brandy does. Brandy doesn't struggle so much what other people think of her as much as I do, but her struggle might be more along the lines of, uh, you know, it could be in the speaking something kindly because if, if, she's in, if she's in a mode and she's getting something done, I kind of alluded to this and she knows that I'm, I'm sharing this and she is more likely to sin in, in, in maybe the area of rudeness, but I'm more likely in the area of fear of man to struggle with not telling the truth in order not to hurt someone's feelings or in order not to look stupid. They're both sins. They're both ugly, but I don't relate as much to being rude in the sense I do struggle with this, but I have an easier time judging rudeness because I'm afraid to be rude. <laughs> I'm afraid to be rude I, because of my fear of man. I don't want to come right out. I actually respect Brandy's tendencies uh, because there's courage behind it. But the thing is, if there's no grace, then I'm going to see her as being this horrible person who is rude. And if she doesn't see me through the eyes of grace, she's going to see me as this lying people pleaser. The truth is 
we're all in the same boat. I struggled with rudeness quite a bit. And she struggles with what people think of her quite a bit. We just struggle differently. And the thing is, is when we get on the moral high ground and start judging one another because we sin differently and we don't relate, what we're doing is we're basically, we're, we're becoming judgers. And there's a verse in Romans um, chapter two, verse one, that scares me. It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on the other, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul, in chapter one, starts talking about just this downward spiral of sin and all of the debauchery and moral depravity that starts going on when people reject God. And it, it gets really ugly. And there's no chapter break in the original writing of this book. Chapter two, verse one is just picking up the thought. And he says, therefore, you have no excuse, you who judge. Because if you think you're judging somebody else, you got to remember you do the exact same things. I, I am in no position to judge or to not show grace where my wife struggles with sin differently. It's not my place. What we do is when we do look at people for sinning and judge people for their sin, especially when it's an area that they sin differently, we quickly, we create caricatures of them. You take a prominent feature of somebody and you amplify that and you kind of define them by that feature that you see. Well, the same kind of thing when we judge someone for their sin, we see that lie that they told, we then call them, they're, they're liars. Someone is, is rude or short, we just call them a jerk. They're, they're jerks. For me, when I'm rude, so it's because I had a reason, I was running late, you know, and I quickly, I, I've become very forgiving with myself and very judgmental toward other people. Our heart is so defensive, we automatically do this. We put people into a one-dimensional category and define them by their sin. When we do that with our spouses, it gets ugly. We need to show grace where we struggle with sin and weakness differently. If we humbly recognize that we too are sinners, in need of grace, it might help us give more grace. Galatians 6, 1, one more verse. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We need to keep watch on ourselves when we are tempted to judge where we're different. Keep watch on ourselves because we're gonna struggle with the same things. We gotta look at these three, big, three areas that, that we're hardwired differently by God, that we're raised to just think differently. These are all areas that we can show grace, but also we struggle with sin and weakness differently. But I, I, I wanna be clear about something. Two of these three categories, they really aren't grace. It's just the way we should be. You sh you're not showing grace when you when you realize that God made your spouse different than you? No, you should be recognizing that they're different and loving them accordingly. When you see that your spouse has a different background and different view on things, you're not showing grace because grace is undeserved favor, undeserved love. It's not undeserved. 
Actually, uh, Romans, uh, Romans 13, verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. We actually owe a debt to God to love one another. And if we think we're showing undeserved grace and favor, then we're forgetting about the fact, this key fact, we are recipients of undeserved grace and favor. God is really the only one who is showing grace. He's showing grace to us because we do not deserve his love and favor. And we see how much he's loved us. He's called us to now go and love one another. Husbands, love your wives. And wives, love your husbands. Like, that's not grace. That's our debt to God. We're called to do that. And those areas where we're tempted to not show grace because of sin, we've been hurt. I guarantee you this, you will never be called by God to show more grace to your spouse than he has shown grace to you. God has forgiven you of more than you will ever be called to forgive your spouse. Keeping that in mind allows us to really show the a divine form of grace, a level of grace that is not explainable. Change begins when we see these differences as opportunities to love and to show grace. And our differences, they're not obstructions. They're really opportunities. So when you're tired and you're uncomfortable because you have to live with a person who's not like you, what you tell yourself about what you're going through is very important. You must, you must preach the reality of grace to yourself. Doing this will move you from resistance to appreciation. Where do we see it brightest and clearest? We see it at the cross. We see the biggest and clearest picture of grace at the cross where while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You know, I know, I know that we ran through this museum of grace, but I hope that those three challenges to show love and grace where we're hardwired differently, where we approach life differently, and where we sin differently, I hope one of those things can take hold in your life and actually be applied this week. Let me pray for us and we'll continue. Father, thank you for the grace that you've given us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that while we were not deserving, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Help us, Lord, to love one another in a way that naturally follows from the grace that you've given us. Help us to show grace to one another, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.